I'm calling this sermon, uh, Let's Do Something Beautiful Together. Hey, church, let's do something beautiful together. Calling out that which is evil, harmful, simply wrong, has its place, has its virtue. Uh, protest has its place in the world. Martin Luther, all those years ago in the 1500s, nailed the 95 Theses on the, on the door of the Wittenberg church, uh, exposing the corruption that had happened to the church in those days, and the selling of indulgences and a whole lot of other things where the church had uh, overstepped its bounds in so many areas and become a force of oppression. It changed history. It really did. The American Revolution was overall a positive revolution, one that wasn't uh, a revolution for just tearing things down, but for building something new. The Boston Tea Party was, was a good thing, I think, from what I can tell. Rosa Parks' refusal to sit in the back of the bus was a courageous act of protest. Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, doing many things, including leading the March to Birmingham, uh, was necessary. In retrospect, I even agree with those who protest against the Vietnam War. I'm, uh, um, one, of my, one of my heroes in the world is Johnny, was Johnny Cash. And uh, when the, J Richard Nixon invited him to the White House to sing, Richard Nixon was trying to get the Southern vote, and, and he asked uh, Johnny Cash if he would sing Welfare Cadillac, a song called Welfare Cadillac, which was kind of a mocking of people that were on public assistance and still drove a Cadillac, and, uh, and asked him to sing Oki from Muskogee. And uh, he, Cash gave him the impression he would do it, but he never really said he would do it. And when he got there, instead of singing those two songs, he sang a song that he had written after going to Vietnam and seeing the body bags and the pointlessness of the war. And the song was called, it's an, it's an amazing song called What is Truth? And in talking about the generation that's out there protesting are really looking for what is true. It was an amazing moment. It's, it's a, it's a, a, a Netflix actually has a documentary on that, on that song and on him singing that in front of the president. The parents who went to school board meetings in Virginia before the last governor's election stood up against the governor's edict that parents should have no say in their children's education. It's a good thing. Parents across the country who are speaking up and demanding that four to eight-year-olds don't need to be exposed to sexually explicit materials. Duh. That's a good thing. Even the best relationships, you know, need a complaint department. Maybe you've been in a relationship where the, your partner didn't have a complaint department. <laughs> you can't have a good relationship with somebody. You know, it's like, um, I forget the guy's name. His last name's Evans, who's, who has marriage on the Rock Ministries. He, he said one time, he was talking about this subject, and he said one time he went to take a shirt back to a department store, and he takes it back, and the, the clerk gave him a hard time, and uh, didn't want to take it back, and she gets the manager. The manager said, I think you wore this. He said, no, I just tried it on. No, no I think you wore it. And he, the manager picks up the shirt and smells the pits. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, 
That's a store that doesn't have a complaint department. They don't want you complaining. Um, but what is absolutely abundantly clear throughout Scripture is that protesting and identifying what is ugly is not enough. But the calling of God's people is always not to just be identifiers of ugly and evil. We are supposed to expose the fruitful, unfruitful works of darkness, the Scripture says. But we are to be creators of beauty. Fred Rogers, after his second year of seminary, came home. This was back in the uh, early days of, of television and early, especially early days of children's television. And at his parents' home in Pittsburgh, he watched children's television. And all the children's television was people sh hitting one another and banging on one another and blowing each, blowing each other up <laughs> and, and throwing pies at each other. That was the children's. And Fred Rogers said to his parents, why aren't they using television this way for children? And he said, I'm not going back to seminary. I'm going to start a children's TV show, a local TV show, local children's TV show, which they thought he was out of his mind. He, what did he know? He knew nothing about television. Well, the rest is history, because Fred Rogers did not just believe in saying, that's wrong, and that's bad. He believed he was created to create beauty in the world. If you've never watched his, his testimony before Congress, it's one of the most amazing things you will ever watch. And have you ever watched that Fred Rogers uh, uh, testifying before Congress? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I mean, PBS was on the line and completely. And, uh, and anyway, it's a long story. I won't try to meander through a story I'm going to tell badly. You go, you go watch it. See, there's a real danger that when we just get upset, even rightfully so, we can just protest, but we don't create. We can be consumed by it. And according to a recent Brown University project, the entire... War, the 9-11 wars, the wars that came out of 9-11, mostly Iraq, have cost the American government, the taxpayers, $8 trillion. And we have nothing beautiful to show for it. We have things to show for it, but even they are costing money. <laughs> now, wars have to be fought, of course. But what if we had spent $8 trillion to make something beautiful? What if we had spent $8 trillion to do something amazing? I'm not, I'm not preaching about politics. I'm not preaching about the government today. I'm just using that as an illustration. That's an illustration of what human nature naturally does. We go after the enemy. We go after what's against us. We feel like we, we, we can spend all our energies trying to destroy what is evil. But there's a guy in the Bible that really, I love this guy, and he sets a great example. His, his country, his nation, Israel, has just gone through 70 years of exile. Some of the exiles are starting to be allowed to return to the homeland. They've gone through unbelievable torture, 
unbelievable. They've been, they've been forced to be immersed in this pagan society of Babylon, which had now morphed into Persia, which was a, the world empire. They were the world empire. They were intent on global domination in those days. And they had destroyed the walls of the temple of Jerusalem, and they had destroyed the temple itself. And a guy, this guy, gets a job. I mean, it's just like, it's an important job, but it's still not a job with much authority. He became the king's cupbearer. That meant he was trusted. That meant, that meant he had proven to the king, you can trust me. I'm not going to hurt you. Even though you have done all, you, all, your regime has done all these horrible things to my people, you can trust me that I will test the wine before you drink it and I will, I will give my life for you if that's what has to happen. I can trust you to that degree. And Nehemiah, we, we, find, we pick up with his words in chapter 1, verse 3. And I would recommend you read this. It's maybe your summer reading. You read, read the book of Nehemiah. And you might want to read excerpts, at least from Jeremiah, to see what, how the atrocities that had gone on. And I want you to pay attention what Nehemiah's focus was. Nehemiah 1, 3, and 4 says, They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then he jumped with me to Nehemiah chapter 2. <clears throat> then I said to him, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be a disgrace. He was at a crossroads. He was at a crossroads in his life. He could have tried to undermine Babylon, undermine Persia, that had become Persia. But he looked to see what of his world had been destroyed, and he decided to restore it and rebuild it and make it beautiful again. He decided to focus on building something beautiful rather than just tearing down something that was evil. That's the gist of my message today. I believe it's the great opportunity of the church right now. I believe it's the great opportunity of the people of God. I believe it's the great opportunity of Bethany Community Church and many other churches. It's our great moment. We need to know the moment that we're in. Moments are not the same in history. So we're in a moment right now when it would be easy, and it is easy, to get distracted by the dysfunction, the insanity, the evil, the wrong that's in the world. And it's true. It's there. Don't be naive. But what is God calling us to do about it? What is God telling us to do? I believe God wants us to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. I believe he wants to rebuild the temple of God. I believe he wants to rebuild the community of faith. I believe he wants to rebuild his church. 
Do you agree? Yeah. I didn't know. All approved, say I. <laughs> All both, same sign. <laughs> so, redirect your anger. Be angry and sin not, the Bible says. Be angry, okay? Be angry. Don't look out in the world and say, I'm not going to be upset. I'm not gonna, no, be angry. Be upset. Redirect your anger, though, at what sin is destroying by setting out to prove that grace is greater than sin. Amen. I love this story in Mark chapter 3. It says, one time, another time, Jesus went to the synagogue and met with a shriveled, uh, met him, saw him, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him, and Jesus on the, uh, heal him on the Sabbath. He said to the man with the ripped, shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Notice that. He looked at them with anger and he was deeply distressed. Sometimes you are called to be angry. Sometimes you're even called to give people dirty looks. Jesus gave them a dirty look. He let them know where he stood. They, they didn't wonder how he felt about them. But notice what he did. Notice what he did. Anger is energy, see? Notice what he did with his energy. He could have given a tirade against, imagine not being able to answer the simple question, is it, is it, should we do good on the Sabbath or evil? Should we hurt people or help people on the Sabbath? They couldn't answer that simple question. I'm sure a great deal, uh, a, a great flood of information was flowing into his brain that he could have vented at them. But he took the energy that could have been used to fight the Pharisees and he turned, and look what happened next. And he said to the man, he's, he, he looked away from the evil. He looked away from the, the power brokers. And he looked to the victim and said, stretch out your hand. And his hand was completely restored. Nehemiah could have spent his days in bitterness over the cruel results of the strong boot of Babylon and their intent on world domination. But instead, he looked at what they had destroyed and said, let's rebuild it. Tony Benn, a uh, British politician for years, said, he said a lot of things I didn't agree with, but he said this one thing I agreed with. He said, it's not enough to be against something. You have to be for something better. <clears throat> See, we can't just be angry at how children's media is being destroyed by ideological takeover. We have to go make beautiful, affirming, life-affirming art for our children. Amen. Like slugs and bugs. <laughs> like, like BCC kids. And you know, it's happening. Uh, Disney stock has plummeted. And there's some really incredible Christian uh, 
art producers who are producing some really good quality stuff for children right now. Because the parents of, of the world are uh, parents of the United States and the world, Western world, are demanding it. And uh, there's always a market for stuff that's good. There's always a market for beauty. Make something beautiful. See, that's what the church has to be careful, that we're not just protesters, but that we're creators. We're creators of beauty. The other night, I, 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 don't, I know many of you went to Jesus Revolution, and I really recommend it highly to, if you haven't seen it already. But I, I, when I went, it had been in the theater 10 days, and um, the theater was, was quite full, and everyone applauded at the end. And, of course, that, 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 that piece is making all kinds of money, and people love it. And it's so wonderful. I'm, I'm so proud of those. I'm so proud of the Christians that aren't just protesting, but they're creating. Beauty is what will save the world. We can't just be angry that moms and dads are being devalued in their roles as the primary shapers of, of their children. We have to actually go and rediscover what it looks like to disciple our, our own children. And be good parents. We can't just be angry that loyalty to great institutions is being undermined. We've got to go start building great institutions and give them the loyalty they deserve. A lot of people are dismayed that the great institutions are destroyed, but they won't go help build a church or become a part of it or show up regularly or contribute. What do we do? The only way, the best defiance we can have is to build something beautiful. We can't just be angry that marriage is being dismantled and disrespected. We have to go build great marriages. Christians in many cases have allowed the same philosophies of popular culture, popular culture about roles, love, loyalty, leadership, submission and respect to corrupt their Christian marriages. So they live, in, they live basically a pagan philosophy even though they call themselves Christians. And so their marriage is really guided by a pagan philosophies. And then they're shocked when the young, their young people choose alternative relational and sexual lifestyles. In the name of Jesus, let's make marriage great again. We can't just be angry that strange ideologies and philosophies are taking over government, bureaucratic agencies and corporations, media and art. We have to recover sound biblical doctrine and start exalting the sayings of the wise. We have a whole generation of Christians, in many cases, who have almost no beliefs and foundational doctrines, except some very vague PBS sort of God who loves you the way you are, which he does. I'm not taking that away from you. Don't clutch onto that. Oh, he's going to take that away from me. No, God loves you the way you are. I'm, I believe that. But, but there's a very robust set of doctrines 
that are based on, you, you know theology is a science? There's a very robust set of biblical doctrines that will buttress you against the storms of life. And you need to develop your intellectual spirituality. And you will, you will recognize the false doctrines when they come a lot better. And you'll know what to do. But, but those, let's, just not, let's not just fight bad doctrine. Let's learn great doctrine. Let's teach great doctrine. Let's study great doctrine. Let, let's read again. Let's read a book again. How about that? Uh, or, or if you want to watch it, that's fine. Or listen to the book. I listen to a lot of books constantly. I don't believe in letting my brain remain idle. An idle my mother always said, the idle mind is the devil's workshop. <laughs> Mom is right. Re- let's return to believing that you are a capable builder of beauty. We're in, a, we're, in a, we're in a time in history where we're just coming out of a phase where we've relegated everything to the experts. You know? <coughs> I, love, I, love his, uh, I, I love Winston Churchill. Yeah, I, and uh, I just, the stories about him, he was such a colorful character and uh, had a, a man of courage. I'm sure he was flawed and all of that, but uh, one day him and, and Clementine was his equal, man. And one day they're walking down the street in London and Clementine turns aside to talk to a street sweeper. And they talk a long time. And when she returns to Sir Winston, Sir Winston says, uh, what were you talking about to him for so long? So, said, well, uh, he, he used to be madly in love with me. And Churchill said, well, think about it. it you could be the wife of a street sweeper. And she said, oh no, my love. If I had married him, he would be the prime minister today. (laughs) I love that. I love that moxie, right? I want you to believe in yourself like that. I want you to believe that the power of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit is within you. Ephesians 3.20, great verses. Uh, now to him that is able to do exceedingly above, abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh within us. And we, we, need to, we, we need to remove that verse from merely the context of personal needs and personal accomplishment and expressive individualism. And, and don't, I see some of you clutching. I say, oh, he's going to take away that verse. I've, I've, I've claimed new cars with that verse, and I've claimed a better house with that verse, and, and I've claimed a better job with that verse. I'm not going to take that away from you. Relax. I, you can still use it that way. You can still use it in that context of your personal needs. But if you read the true context of the verse, we need to put it back in, we need to include, let's say, let's say we need to expand the context to include Whatever God wants to do in the earth for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Amen. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all the eyes according to the power that works within you for the growth and expansion 
and, and, and power and, and effectiveness of the kingdom of God in the earth. The world has been blessed for centuries by experts, and there are many times when our best efforts at diagnosing our own problems aren't enough. We need the mechanic, the computer technician, the attorney, and the theologian. Oh, the doctor, as I did this week, when I was, uh, I was diagnosing myself, you know. So I'm, I'm taking, I was convinced that my lungs were congested, so I'm taking Mucinex, which is for lung congestion. After about, about Wednesday, I wasn't getting any better. And I said, man, I'm going to go find an expert, or at least somebody who knows more than me. And I go down to the urgent care, and a nice young nurse practitioner comes out, and she, she listens to my lungs. She says, your lungs are clear as a bell. <laughs> so sometimes, sometimes you need the expert. I found out I have a sinus infection and a, a bacterial virus of some sort going on. You can hang out with me because I don't have uh, influenza or COVID, so you can hang out with me. <laughs> but... Uh, so, so, so what's my point? We, we still need our experts, right? We need, we, need, we need people who spend their days thinking and writing and researching in certain areas. We're, we're enriched by that. However, we're in, a, we're in a really strange moment in history. A time when, at least to my knowledge, has not existed to this degree. And, and, and I, I, I would enjoy going down the rabbit trail of why I think that is, but I won't, because you, you won't enjoy it. Uh, but we're in a strange moment when, when some of the dumbest things you will hear are coming from the lips and the computer keyboards of experts. We're in an enormous crisis of public trust right now. Enormous. It's enormous. We're in an enormous crisis of tr- public trust. And some, some people just avoid it, don't think about it. But we are. You don't know who to trust. And you don't know who to believe right now. Who are the experts? It's, it's, it's nothing new, though. <laughs> when I study the scripture, I think, oh, man, this has never happened before. The Lord taps on the shoulder. Think again, Phil. Let me show you. <laughs> Go 2,000 years ago, the same thing would happen. It turns out Nehemiah was having the same issue. The experts were saying, you can't do this. The experts were saying, this is dumb. The experts were saying, you're wasting your time. The experts were saying, what you're trying won't work. You know, the experts are saying stuff about the church and religion and faith and all kinds of stuff. So when I read this, I, I, it kind of, I made the connection. Here, here it says in Nehemiah 4.1, a guy named Sambalat. Sambalat was a regional governor of Samaria during the Persian Empire. He had authority, expertise, people trusted him, people believed him. And here's what he, he says. Sambalat said in front of his associates, not just him, his associates, and the army of Samaria... I mean, you check his Twitter feed, and that's what you find out Sambalite is saying some, saying some trash talk about Nehemiah 
and the people that think they're going to make something beautiful. And so he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Question mark. Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from the heaps of rubble burned as they are? <clears throat> and he was joined, we, we, if you read, want to study this more, he was joined by a guy named Tobiah, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arabs. So there was an international consortium of experts who were saying, go back and, go back and take care of your wine tasting and your, 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 your work for the king and be, be your little servant. Don't think you're going to be high and mighty and do something amazing. Nehemiah is a great hero because he ignored them. So right now, in some cases, not all, if the doctor checks your lungs and says they're clear, believe him. He's probably right. <laughs> but some cases, you need to tell the experts. You need to just turn them off. Oz Guinness, one of my one of my favorite people in the world. I've had the opportunity to meet him a couple of times. He's a brilliant man. I'd encourage you to read anything he writes. He said, the present crisis is above all a call to faithfulness. So, let's move on. We're uniquely designed and positioned to create beauty where it doesn't presently exist. If you go to Matthew 5.14, you find this verse where Jesus is talking to a crowd of people. And he said to these crowd of people, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket and a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. Now, I used to read this to, and, and, and preach it, that first part of that verse, as a command, as instructions. Like I need to instruct people to be the light of the world. But as I was reading it this week, I, it done, wait a minute. Jesus didn't give any directive in the first part of the verse, the first part of the passage. He didn't say, you people need to be the light of the world. You, you, need to act, you need to be a city set on a hill. No, he said, you are. You are that's what you are. And then it dawned on me, he was talking to Jews. He was talking to his nation. He was talking to Jewish people, and he was saying to them, your relationship that you have with God is unique in the world. You, are stand, you will stand out from others. In other words, you will not simply able, be able to be a part of the herd. You believe things about your heritage and have embraced a culture that was inspired by God himself. So forget about trying to just be another nation among nations. Forget about just trying to be another group of people among a group of, among a group of people. You will, I have saddled you with the burden of standing apart. You can't help it. That's how I created you. I created you with this burden 
that you will bear. And I could take you to other passages of Scripture that confirm this, that in some ways this was considered a burden. It says the oracles of God were handed to the people of Israel. So he was saying, so forget about trying to be just another race of people in the earth. You, you, you are different, and you will be treated different. Uh, and like I said, most people teach this as something that we need to do something to become the light of the world. But Jesus didn't say that. He was saying you already, as he was already, he was saying you can't fit in. You're made, you, you are made for the kingdom of God. You cannot fit in. He was saying, embrace your identity as a lot of the world. A city set on a hill. Learn to sit comfortably in the discomfort of being the other. And then he gets to the end of that passage, that part of the passage I read, and he says, let your good deeds. Now, there is something for you to do. There is something for you to do. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. He said, okay, you are the light of the world. You are my people. I'm not going to let, people are not going to treat you like everybody else. They're not going to leave you alone. I asked uh, uh, one of our, uh, our main chaperone for Chinese students who was here, who I, I, I didn't want to say this in the first service because, uh, as we know, the Chinese government is actually tracking down uh, dissidents in the United States. And that's been in the news lately, right? And this man did not go back to China. I know he did not go back. Last I heard, he's in the Midwest somewhere. And I asked him, sitting right out there in the gym, I said, listen, why does your government hate Christians? I said, I would think if I were running a government, I would want a lot of Christians because I know they're not going to... Mostly, you know, there's, there's hypocrites and all that kind of thing. But, but if they follow the Christian teachings, they're going to be loyal they're, they're, going to, they're, they're going to take care of one another. They're, they're, they're going to have healthier lives. And, 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 and that's been proven in China. Uh, and I said, what, what's the deal? And, and he looked at me and said, well, it's simple. They can't control us. Our, our ultimate loyalty is to God. And that's the problem with Jews. As a nation, their ultimate, their ultimate direction comes from the Torah. Now, I know there are many, many Jews who have abandoned all that kind of thing. But, that, but nevertheless, that's what Jesus was saying to them. Now, now uh, the word uh, good there, or, or good deeds there, is translated from the Greek word, I don't know if I pronounce it right, but I'll, do, I'll take a stab at it, kala erga. Kala erga means, uh, it could be translated uh, good, or it can be translated beautiful. This is way more robust than just small acts of kindness, though, and though that's a part of it. Everything the Jews have gone in, everywhere the Jews have gone in the world, they have been marginalized and prejudiced against, but they have forced the world to recognize their ability and their expertise, and they've risen to the top wherever they have gone in the world. Not because they've created great armies and gone and fought wars or or anything like that, but because they always create something beautiful. When 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 the Jews came to New York City in the turn of the century, turn of the last century, uh, nobody wanted to make sit around and make garments all day. 
there, 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 wasn't, there wasn't massive machinery in those days to mass produce clothing like there is now. We didn't have these clothing mills in Vietnam and China and other places. And nothing like that existed. So the Jewish families would buy a sewing machine, put it in the back room of their tiny little apartment. They would get up at four in the morning and they would make clothing all day. And their children would work with them. And the rest is history. They created the clothing industry in America. They took over the clothing industry in New York City. Another, uh, another example is in law. Uh, the American, you know, uh, Irish and Italian attorneys did not want to deal with criminal law because it was grungy and dirty and you're dealing with scum of the earth. The Jewish guys said, fine, we'll take it. Have you ever heard of any famous Jewish criminal lawyers? <laughs> they were doing what Jesus told them to do. Go be the light of the world. Now, I understand that some of you are protesting. I can feel it. I thought that's about winning souls to Jesus. Yes. Yes. That, that, the, the, the Christian mandate is to go beyond just being productive in industrious ways. But it all works together. It all works together. When we create something beautiful, when we create something beautiful, it causes people to come to God. It causes people to want to know why we, why we didn't just curl up and become bitter. Why, we, why didn't we just curl up and become, become bitter people? Why didn't we just become protesters who threw, who threw soup on art in the Louvre? Why didn't we just burn buildings down? Why didn't we become angry? Why didn't we become homicidal killers? Why didn't we tear things down? Why didn't we, why didn't we, do, we destroy? I'll tell you why. Because living inside of us is the creator. And the creator doesn't go around destroying things. The creator creates things. And the creator creates beauty. The creator looks at the earth that's without form and void. And with his words in six days makes it a place of amazing beauty that scientists are still trying to figure out. And it's the creator that has come and lived inside of us and has redeemed us by his, save, by his, by his, by his, uh, by his grace. And, 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 and Adam, I don't think that Christians can fully fully in, enter their destiny unless they understand, though, that they're children of Abraham. Amen. I believe that. If we would understand the implications of being the children of Abraham and we would read the Scriptures through that lens, I'm not talking about being Zionist. I'm not talking about anything political. I'm talking about there are things that God said to the Jews that are transferable by, the, by our link with Abraham by our, our link with Christ through Abraham. And the Bible says that we've been grafted in. We've been grafted in to the, we've been grafted into the, to the seed of Abraham. 
And so when Jesus says to the Abrahamic people, go be the light of the world, go into the world and build things that are beautiful, that's got to be really robust and really big and really amazing. And that's why, we, that's why we've done it by, by God's grace. We've built hospitals. We've built orphanages. We, we've built churches. We've, we've built compassionate ministries. We are doing it. We need to stop feeling inferior because we are the people of God. I want to bring this to a close today. Oh, there it is, the word conclusion. I found it. <laughs> You're so happy. Oh, he found the conclusion. The current trajectory, I don't believe the current trajectory of society is sustainable. Now, that's not to say that I know we're on the cusp of the biblical apocalypse. If we are the generation who will see the biblical apocalypse, so be it. That means we will be the generation that sees the return of Christ and the restoration of the new heavens and the new earth. If not, I'm talking about if you will do what I'm asking you to do and we will work together to build something beautiful. Do something beautiful as well. If not, when the utopian delusions being championed and extolled lie in the ash heap of irrelevance, which they will, we will be the superintendents of beautiful structures that survived. We will, be this, we, we will also be the superintendents of beautifully preserved truths, robust and healthy ideas, welcoming the refugees who will be fleeing from the cultural catastrophe. We will also have properly utilized the tools society has imagined would make them God, and we will be using them to display the glory of God. I've already heard some really cool things that some Christians are doing where AI is concerned. We used to sing this song. Maybe we should sing it again. Hear us, O spirits of darkness, so you will know where we stand. We are his servants, purchased with scars, bought by the blood of the Lamb. We're the people of God, called by his name, called from the dark and delivered from shame. One holy race, saints everyone, because of the blood of Christ Jesus, the Son. Philippians 2.14, I close with this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you will become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. I'd like our prayer partners to come, please. One of the beautiful things that we're doing right now, Bethany, is praying for one another. And I'm, I'm seeing, it's just great. It's, uh, we, we, we pray over your needs during the week as they come in. And we share them via text messages. And so we're praying for you during the week. And uh, 
You see, when it comes to creating beauty, it's just like, what's broken? Let's go fix it. What's, what's gotten corrupted? Let's go purify it. Let's go make it pure again. Let's go make it clean again. Let's go make it beautiful again. Instead of cursing the darkness, we light a candle. So I want you to come. If you need prayer for anything today, you can move out. Now, you don't have to wait till I'm done talking to go ahead and move in place and be prayed for. <coughs> if you have any need, it may not be related really to the message, but maybe it is. Any need in your life, financial, relational, emotional, spiritual, come be prayed for. If you have not made that decision to follow Christ, that's the most important decision you can make. And that's the one I would most be pleased that you made today. So you come up and ask them to pray for you. I'm going to pray a quick prayer and uh, then uh, and re-invite you to come. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ability that I have somewhere today to create beauty for something or someone. Thank you, Lord, for the ability I have to make myself a beautiful person. And Father, thank you that I can go and build something. Maybe somebody here needs to go to their work and start a, start a Bible study group at their work, as I know one of the men in this, this church has done at a, at a company that, you know, like so many, has been taken over by some really strange ideologies. But they're not trying to stop. The, 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 they don't care if a group of employees use a room to study the Word together during the day after work or on a break. God, maybe somebody needs to do that. Maybe, maybe somebody needs to join in with something, a project here at Bethany Community Church and make something beautiful. Oh, Father, I just pray that you'll put your call on them right now. Show up in a beautiful way. Let tonight be incredible. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.